Let us open the Word of God to John chapter 17. John 17, it's a choice whether you love John 17 or not this morning. Amen. Our flesh does not like the Word of God, any chapter of it, hardly. Some chapters, maybe more than others, but John 17, because of its spiritual content, is less liked than most chapters to the flesh. But in the Spirit, I hope you'll choose right now that there's a God in heaven and that the first eight verses of Psalm 119 that you just heard explained are true, and therefore you ought to be delighting in the law of the Lord, and this law is better than anything David ever laid his eyes on or his ears ever heard. John chapter 17. To help you grasp this chapter and get your hands and mind around it and never lose it, let me review very briefly. The first five verses are Jesus praying for himself. Can you see that clearly? There's no apostles, there's no one, there's no elect mentioned in the way of a prayer request for them. It's all about God and him in the work of salvation and the glory needed for it and the glory to follow it. In the first verse, Jesus prays for himself for the reciprocal glory with the Father going to the cross. These words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy Son, that thy Son also may glorify thee, looking toward the cross. What would they do at the cross? Jesus, by the salvation of the elect, addresses the need for glory, and the cause for glory. As thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. The apostles are hearing this. When Jesus prays, things happen, and they hadn't heard Jesus pray quite like this before, because he had gone apart to pray. And so he's mentioning salvation. He's not teaching doctrine, though that is a side effect and a byproduct of the way he prayed. And he's going to tell us today that he prayed this way for their benefit. You know, usually when we pray, we should be focusing on the Lord hearing our words. But Jesus is focusing on two audiences, the Lord hearing his words and the apostles hearing his words. And he's going to tell us that today. Then we come to verses 4 and 5, which are for reciprocal glory. It's still Jesus praying for himself for reciprocal glory because of the cross. And when he said, I have glorified thee, he had not yet. He's using the past tense like we do when we say consider it done. Because he was going to do this and it was so certain and so close that he could say it this way. Because he hadn't yet glorified God the way he was going to by his trial his crucifixion, his resurrection, his 40 days of proof, his ascension and coronation into heaven is when he glorified God and heaven burst forth with the praise that we find in Revelation chapters 4 and 5. And so, I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. Do you see the reciprocal glory? I'm going to glorify you. You glorify me because of the cross. 
And this prayer is being made to God, but God knows all these things, and Jesus has known all these things, and that they're going to come to pass, but it's for the benefit of the eleven. The eleven are hearing these words with Jesus, with his eyes, lifted up to heaven. It would have been a tremendous moment. And it should be a tremendous moment for we, for us, as we read it. So there's the first five verses, and it's the first section, and it's Jesus praying for himself. Reciprocal glory to the cross. Salvation that's going to occur at the cross. And the reason for it, for the glory of God, that we might all know him, the true and living God. And then prayer because of the cross. And so we come to Jesus praying for his apostles at verse 6. And verses 6 through 10 are Jesus praying for the apostles, but reasoning with God before he brings forth a request. He does not have a request in the first five verses. He has descriptions of them as being special men that were gods, that were given to him, and those special men had been obedient. They had kept his word, they had obeyed it, received it, believed it, and knew it for sure. Special words. But I want you to notice the prayer. I want you, I am supposed to give you understanding of this chapter. I may not be very good at giving you feelings. I may not be very good at getting, at jerking tears out of your poor little ducks. And that's with a T, D-U-C-T-S. I don't care if your ducks at home cry or not. I'm talking about your tear ducks. I'm not very good at that. I've never aimed for it. If it comes, it comes. If it doesn't, it doesn't. I want your faith to stand in the Word of God. And these five verses are Jesus praying for the apostles and giving reasons why God should hear him and take care of them. Let me read them to you. I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were, and thou gavest them me, and they have kept thy word. Do you understand from that one sentence exactly what I'm saying to you? There's no request here. This is reasoning with God in prayer. Moses was a great reasoner with God in prayer. So was David, and so was the Lord Jesus Christ. There is reasoning with God in prayer all the way through this chapter. Notice what he's doing right now. He just doesn't get down to business. Heavenly Father, thank you for a beautiful day. Now I need one, two, three, four. In Jesus' name, amen. He reasons with God because it's a conversation. It's for the glory of God. Father, if you'll give me glory, I'll give you glory. And I'm going to give you glory, and I'm looking forward to the glory that you've promised me. And we're going to get glory together because we're going to save a bunch of ugly sinners to know you, Heavenly Father, that we can have a beautiful family of God. That's the first five verses. And the next five are the Lord Jesus Christ saying, Father, these men are yours. I didn't really pick them. You picked them. You gave them to me. And look at how they've conducted themselves the last three and a half years while the rest of the Jews, the Jewish leadership, the religious leaders, have despised your word. I have, I'm going to read it again. Verse 6 is a summary of these five verses because I want you to see his reasoning. There's no prayer request. It's reasoning. 
I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were, and thou gavest them me, and they have kept thy word. I'm going to stop again. His eyes are heavenward. And they are hearing the Lord Jesus Christ say, Lord Jehovah. These 11 dumb fishermen from the Sea of Galilee were yours, and you gave them to me. Do you know what that would do to them? What it should do to them? What it should do to us? And we're less than they are. Please don't be offended that I called them dumb fishermen from Galilee. Everyone knew they were dumb fishermen from Galilee, including them. We're less. But this is how Jesus takes care of us. They were yours, Father. You gave them to me. I died for them. And they have kept your word, and they're meeting this morning on September 16, 2018 in Greenville, South Carolina, and they haven't canceled their services due to kite weather in Greenville. I didn't say it was kite weather at the coast. It was kite weather in Greenville. Right. Because the world, I'll leave that for the second service. Verse 7, thinking about the, the apostles hearing Jesus praying directly to his father. Now they have known that all things whatsoever thou hast given me are of thee. For I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me, and they have received them, and have known surely that I came out from thee, and they have believed that thou didst send me. I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine, and all mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I am glorified in them. Amen. Amen. Would you be ready to go to work if you were an apostle and you had heard that prayer with Jesus praying to his Father in heaven? That all mine are thine and all thine are mine and they're yours. And I've known they were yours and you gave them to me and we're we're not going to leave them alone. They're yours, they're mine, mine are yours. Okay, I just want you to get where we are. There's no prayer request. Do you see any prayer requests? I thought a prayer was for requests. It is. Supplications, prayers, and intercessions. But there's reasoning in prayer. There should be a basis for why we're asking God for this blessing. And why was he asking? These men are yours. They have believed that your son, when he came to this world, actually was your son. I have given them your word. They've kept your word. And they know surely these things. There's a couple reasons, Holy Father, that you should hear my prayer. And now we get to the requests. And there's three of them. We have nine verses. There's three of them. And there's three verses each. And that is the Holy Spirit's division, not mine. It should be very apparent to you when you look through these. I have asked you to look at the little tiny outline, and I have kept it very simple, and look at the verses and see if they don't line up in a very simple, logical progression of our Lord's Prayer. Spiritual, but logical. When Jesus prays, things happen. Jesus prayed for the apostles when they should have been praying for him. Jesus is our intercessor, just like he was for them. Jesus usually prayed alone, separate from the apostles, but this prayer is in their hearing, and by the Holy Spirit, John wrote it down for us. It's been preserved. This is a special view into the Holy of Holies of heaven. Can you understand what I mean by that? This is special. 
See, Jesus is seated at the right hand of God the Father right now. We can't see him. So what, what, what is it like? What does he speak to the Father like? How, what does he pray for me for? No, it's right here. It's right here. It really is right here. But this prayer is for his apostles first. That is the direct intent, and it's only indirectly that we can take these three requests for us. And so, to help you, and please don't read ahead or fill out ahead your little handout, because then I lose, and you lose. We'll progress our way through it. I know what's about to happen, and it's okay, because I, I did it before once upon a time myself. But I have given you this little piece of paper in the hope that it might help you understand what we covered today. If it doesn't, and it's a distraction to you, and you wish I wasn't reducing the pulpit by passing them out, send me a kind, respectful email. Some say that it helps them. Some are visual learners. And to combine visual with audio is ultimate learning. I have known for a long time that something in front of your eyes, in addition to something to your ears, is a 60% improvement in comprehension. But God chose by preaching. So the main thrust is always audio. It's us declaring the truth from God's word, reading in the book and the law of God distinctly, and giving the sense. Now, it's true that poor Nehemiah and Ezra didn't have a copying machine or a printer like I do. So I can put God's word in front of you at the same time while I'm still going to preach. Here we go. There are three lessons. We're going to cover two. We'll cover one in the second service. The three lessons are have three verses each. We have nine verses to cover, 11 through 19. The first lesson is... <laughs> Go ahead and fill it out. Save my grief. Jesus prayed first for the apostles' unity and joy. We are going to find that in the first three verses. Because in verse 11, at the end it says that they may be one as we are. That's unity. And in the 13th verse, it concludes by saying that my joy might be fulfilled in them. Okay, unity and joy. As you can see it in the first three verses. It's pretty plain that the prayer request of Jesus to his Father is these 11 men, they're not going to be divided or broken up by differences or schisms inside them, and they are going to be filled with joy for the work that's before them, just like Jesus was filled with joy, because the Bible tells us, for the joy that was set before him. He endured the cross and despised the shame, and they're going to need to do the same thing. Now, Peter's going to be crucified upside down if church history has any value at all. But he did die as the Lord said he would die. Okay, the second lesson is in verses 14 through 16. And Jesus prayed for the apostles there for their safety from the world. Safety from the world. We'll come back. I'm, gonna, I'm willing to go ahead. I know some of you know I just threw up a white flag um, in the way that I like to do things, but it's okay. I will do anything to help you understand John 17 thoroughly and see its progression. 
But verses 14 through 16 are safety from the world. Because you can look at it very easily and see it. Verse 14, the world hath hated them in the middle. Verse 15, don't take them out of the world, just protect them. Verse 16, because they're not of the world just like I'm not. You can see it. This isn't my division. This is the Lord's. This is how he was progressing progressing through three prayer requests for the apostles separate from adding in us. The third lesson is in verses 17 through 19, and it's what we just heard this morning from Psalm 119, the first eight verses. Sanctify. It's Jesus prayed third for their sanctification by truth. Because I gave you a short blank, I'm not going to say through truth. It's sanctification by truth. Sanctification by truth. That's going to be our lesson for the second service. We have two lessons to cover now. May the Lord help us. Do you see them? See, when you look at verses 17, sanctify them. So it's sanctification, and how? Through thy truth. You go to the end of verse 19. Sanctified through the truth. The division's obvious. I don't want to make divisions where there aren't divisions to be made. But where there are divisions that are pretty obvious, I want to do it so that you have bite-sized morsels to relish as we look at them. Instead of getting all confused with a bunch of big words and verses running on, and what did Jesus really mean, I'm telling you what Jesus really meant. I have one goal when I preach. It's not to be dignified. It's not to be eloquent. It's to help you understand. Period. Done. Yes I, want, yes, I want you to be convicted. I want you to be persuaded. I want you to embrace the truth. I want you to be lifted up. I want you to rejoice. But do you know what? I've got to leave that to the Holy Ghost. But I don't have to leave to the Holy Ghost to present it in an understanding way. And so I've simplified this, and it's helped me, and I hope that it helps you. Three lessons, three verses each, verses 11 through 19, the first prayer request we've had for the apostles. I hope you can see that. He reasons for five verses, and now he's asking for things for them. Lord, help us as we enter into it. Verse 11. Let me read the first three verses, which is the first lesson. Jesus prayed for the apostles' unity and joy. And now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to thee. Holy Father, keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me I have kept, and none of them is lost, but the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. And now come I to thee, and these things I speak in the world, that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves." He says, Father, I'm no longer in the world. And he says, while I'm in the world, I'm speaking in the world. Because he was, he was speaking in the past tense, consider it done. Like I pointed out last Sunday, you're going to have to struggle with verb tenses all the way through this unless you go back to the verse 4 and get it settled in your mind. Jesus is using the past tense for things that are so close and so certain because he is going to do them. Right. And we do the same thing when we consider it, when we say, consider it done. Right. Well, it's not done. But consider it done. And Jesus is saying to the Father, consider it done because I'm going to do it. And if you'll see that about these verses, because he says, I'm no longer in the world, 
But then he says, while I'm in the world, I'm saying it this way. And he meant, while I'm down here, I'm praying this prayer for them to hear it, that my joy might be fulfilled in them. I want them to hear how close we are, how they are yours. You gave them to me. And what is yours is mine. What is mine is yours. And that I think they are very special, faithful men. And I'm willing to tell you that. Do you hear me say that to you? Do you know how weak they were? But did Jesus say anything about their weakness in verses 6 through 10? Nothing. All about their strength. They've heard my word and kept it. They received it. They believed. They know for sure that I came from thee. Really? In the Lord's sight, yes. And he knew what he was going to do to them on the day of Pentecost. Amen. And there wasn't any doubt about the matter after the day of Pentecost. And there wasn't much doubt after his resurrection from the dead. Because even Thomas says, my Lord and my, my God. No one had ever said that to him before. Not recorded in the pages of the Gospels. Okay, here we are. Yes, I feel like a child in a candy store. And we have three bins. And in each bin, there's three kinds. It's nine verses. Lord, help us. And now I am no more in the world. He was in the world, but he wasn't going to be in the world very long. And so he's using the same form of verb tenses as he has been using. You know he was in the world. He was right in front of them. He had been walking. When he finished praying, he was going to continue walking. And John chapter 18 and verse 1 is going to tell us they passed over a brook and into the garden of Gethsemane. He was in the world. He was going to be in the world for how long? Six weeks. Three days and three nights in the tomb. And 40 days proving by many infallible proofs that he was alive. And now I am no more in the world. And I don't want to waste time on these verb tenses. There's going to be several of them, but he's going to bounce back and forth. Notice, I am no more in the world, but then down here in verse 13, he says, these things I speak in the world. Is he in the world or not? Yes. He's in the world, but it is so certain and so close that he's going to leave the world that he can use that terminology at times. Remember a simple rule. And this has cost me a great deal of grief in my life. And it's cost some in this church a great deal of grief in their life. Remember a simple rule. Context is more important than words and grammar. And determines words and grammar just as it determines spelling for spelling bees. When the master of a spelling bee gives you a word... The wise response is, use it in a sentence so that you get context to know what the word is. Context determines words. Words do not determine context. Context, context, context. It's more important than grammar. Grammar cannot be identified by itself. You need context for the grammar. That's what we're doing right here when I tell you he was in the world. But he said he wasn't in the world. But he said he was in the world. I respond to you who say he wasn't in the world. And so we understand that he was in the world. But his departure out of the world was so close, so imminent, 
And so certain because he was going to do it for his Father in heaven, he could say, I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. We know that it's going to be another 18 hours before he says, it is finished. But he says, it is finished here. And we know that not until he rises from the dead is it truly finished, because if Jesus hasn't risen from the dead, we're still in our sins. I hope you can see all that. But it is so close, so preeminent, and so certain, God can call those things which be not as though they were. And the Bible tells us to think that way about verb tenses. That is a distraction. Why is it put here? For this simple rule. Let me read it again. It's our rule. Context is more important than words and grammar, and it determines words and grammar. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for helping us understand your word. I do not resent these verb tenses myself at all. It's a little harder to explain, but I thank you for the wisdom that is buried in there for a rule of interpretation that we hold and others don't. And now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to thee. Holy Father, there's 12 of us here. These 11 men were yours. You gave them me. They've received me. I'm leaving them, and they're going to be alone in the world. They need your help, and here is my first prayer request. Okay? I have pages on every one of these phrases, but I want it to be simple for you. Holy Father, keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are. Here's the first prayer request. I'm leaving them, Father. They're going to be alone. They're not going to have me to settle their differences. They're not going to have me to protect them. They're not going to have me to teach them. They're going to be alone. They're they're going to be tempted by all sorts of apostasy. They're going to be tempted by persecution and so forth. In that first section, Jesus asked God to keep them through thine own name. Holy Father, keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me. Jesus asked God the Father, number two in the first section, to make sure they were one. Unity. Unity right off the bat in verse 11 should be very obvious to you. They're in the, I'm no more in the world, Father. You know, these guys are basically alone. I'm about to leave them. They need your help, and this is what they need your help doing. Holy Father, our God is holy, and Jesus knew him and the Bible's description of him better than we do. If the cherubim, if the seraphim, if the four beasts thrice ascribe him holiness, then we should. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. Whether it's Isaiah 6 or Revelation 4. Holy Father, if you want to praise the holiness of God and God being your loving Father all at once, address him like Jesus did. Oh, Holy Father. Beautiful. Beautiful. Jesus taught disciples to pray, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. What's another word for hallowed? Holy. Because God is holy. If those special creatures around him are often referring to his holiness, we want to refer to his holiness. And so the Lord Jesus Christ did. Jesus addressed God as Father six times in this prayer. 
That relationship is powerful. It was powerful for the Lord. It should be powerful for us. Jesus specifically taught his disciples to pray, Our Father, which art in heaven. Jesus specifically taught that God far surpasses any earthly father in wanting to give good gifts to children. Since God has adopted us as his children, we ought not to cringe at repeating it. Do you think it's redundant? And that one of your English teachers that you encountered when you were in school might write redundant on your prayer? If you were to use the word father more than once, do you know how long this prayer takes? Three minutes. But he used father six times. And it's Jesus. I mean, he was the only begotten son of God. We're the predestinated sons of God. We ought to be able to use the word more than once. I'm, I want you to see the familiarity between Jesus and God in a reverent way. Holy Father. We're going to get righteous Father. He loves being our Father. He wants us to remember the rules about prayer that Jesus gave, that he's better than any earthly father. He said, you, you sinful fathers, if your children asked for a fish from you, you wouldn't give them a stone or a scorpion. How much more can your, will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those that ask him? Amen. The Spirit God sends into us, according to the Bible, cries out, Abba, Father. We should be, that Father should come out of us. Keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me. What does it mean, keep through thy name? Because our unity is in God. The one true and living God. Whether it's Abraham's almighty God or Moses, the Lord Jehovah. Keep through thy name. The unity I want, Father, is unity in doctrine around you. My favorite cross-reference on this is Ephesians 4. And listen to this climactic expression by the Apostle Paul about unity. Now it's going to take, it's the first six verses of Ephesians 4. Listen to these words of the Apostle Paul. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. What is our vocation? The sons of God. We're the sons of God. Walk worthy of the vocation you've been called. With all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Did I give you enough hints already about the first lesson that it's unity? Did we already get in verse 11 that they may be one as we are one? This oneness in unity is right here in this verse. It's going to grow from this. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Let these men, Paul praying for the Ephesians, to be bound together in peace and endeavoring to keep the unity that the Spirit wants them to have. Here he goes. He's going to continue his crescendo. There is one body and one spirit, even as ye are called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, and here we go, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all 
and in you all. Amen. Amen, yes. Now does John 17 and verse 11 make sense? Oh, Father, Holy Father, in verse 11, keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me. Keep them united in thee, the only true and living God and Father. Because there's only one God who is above all and in you all and through you all, through all. Amen. I want you to see that. Oh, it's beautiful. Keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me. If you jump ahead to verse 12, let's cheat just a moment. You know what I mean by that. Looking ahead. While I was with them in the world, this is Jesus speaking, I kept them in thy name. I kept them all united around you. I kept them all together based on you. Now, I did my part. <laughs> Holy reasoning. I did my part. I only lost one. And you know why and how I lost him. Because he was a son of perdition I was supposed to get rid of anyway. And you know that I knew all along he was a devil. Like I, prayed in, like I said in John 6 and verse 70. So Jesus is saying to the Father, I did this. When I had them, now I need you to do it because I'm leaving them alone. Okay. So, what if he prays like this for us? Oh, good. We're making progress. He does. And do you think, how do his prayers compare to Elijah? A little better, maybe? Let's make sure we pray this way and let's rejoice that he's praying this way. Holy Father, You've given me a church in Greenville, South Carolina. I'm not with them, and they're in the world. Make them one, just like we're one. That's how you keep through thine own name. Our unity is in the name of God and his son, Jesus Christ, and in all that is encompassed by the name of God and his son, Jesus Christ. When we say blood is thicker than blood, this is what we mean here. We are united to God. We're part of his family. This is our vocation. We've been called to be the sons of God. And so we want to live like it. We want to be the happy family of God, keeping the bond of peace and endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in that bond of peace, in oneness, unity of fellowship, joy, love, purpose, plan. We want to be united in all those things. Christian liberty, who cares about Christian liberty? But we never want to offend even a brother in Christian liberty. Right. Because we want to be united together. There are dangers facing Christians in a wicked world, especially when they were so few as 11. A grave danger facing the apostles was isolation in a wicked world of wicked men. A greater danger was a proud, divisive nature to seek individual glory, which they had shown on several occasions. Right. They had shown some infighting as to who was going to be most important. And so he's praying to the Father to take away all that. Take away outside influences, inside influences, and make them one. That they may be one as we are. God, and the, Fa God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ are perfectly united. There is unity in agreement, fellowship, joy, love, plan, and purpose. We can't be united in nature, but we can be united in all these ways like God and his Son are. The last verse of this small section of three verses explains his intent in verse 13 for their joy to be full because there is great joy when brethren walk together in unity. Have you ever looked at that little tiny Psalm 133? How blessed it is 
when brothers walk together in unity. And it brings joy. Lord, thank you for that. A kingdom divided cannot stand. So they needed to be different from all others, and the Lord needed to help them. There should be no schism in a church, whether it's in doctrine, persons, or personalities. Do not be content with agreement or unity in some or many points, but all points. We want to be one. I didn't mean liberty. Let's be merciful with our liberty. Verse 12. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Jesus did what he just asked the Father to do. These 11 have received your word, they've kept your word, and they know for sure that I'm from you. At least it's handouts and not slides. It's still kite weather. We still have a roof. Thank you, Lord. Our lights just blinked for those that are wondering. I kept them. Those that thou gavest me, I've kept. They're your men. You gave them me. I kept them for three and a half years. That's what you assigned me to do. And only one of them is lost. None of the real ones are lost. That's what he said in the second part of this verse. Those that thou gavest me, I have kept, and none of them is lost. But the son of perdition, Judas Iscariot, was lost. So in your, on your little handout, the only apostle that I lost was the Son of perdition. Son of perdition, which is also a title for the Antichrist, which is also a title for the man of sin, which is also a title for the little horn of Rome, which is the popes of Rome. The only one that Jesus had lost was a nominal apostle, Judas Iscariot, and he did that to fulfill Scripture because he had a couple of prophecies and psalms to fulfill about Judas Iscariot. The only apostle that I lost was the son of perdition. The only reason he was lost was to fulfill the scripture. Look at the Lord Jesus Christ, always doing the will of God, always doing the word of God as it revealed the will of God, because the word of God had prophecies about Judas Iscariot. Verse 13, and now come I to thee. I thought he was no longer in the world in verse 11. Now he says in verse 13, now come I to thee. Just notice the verb tenses. They're they're kind of amusing. They don't bother me. I don't want them to bother you. Was he in process? Almost, in his opinion. I just got to get this death thing over with. No big deal. Of course, when he thinks about it, he's going to sweat, as it were, great drops of blood in Gethsemane. But only for a little while. The Lord's going to send an angel to him. It's going to strengthen him. And he's going to go and meet the arresting mob. He's going to go to them. Who are you looking for in here with all these searchlights? Jesus of Nazareth. I am he. Bam! That's our Lord Jesus Christ. You know what he said next? You see, if you're seeking Jesus after they got up, after they got back up, got their swords back in, their helmets back on, you said you were seeking Jesus of Nazareth? Then take me. But leave these alone. What's the worst day I've ever had? What's the worst day you've ever had? Is it that bad as Calvary? As his trial? Here I am, but leave these alone. Always thinking about the apostles. 
That's John chapter 18, about verses 9 and 10. And now come I to thee, and these things I speak in the world. He has said in verse 11, I am no more in the world. I am leaving, Heavenly Father, and I'm coming to thee, Holy Father. But while I'm here, I'm having this prayer to you in front of them for them. These things I speak in the world. Jesus prayed the way he did to fill them, that is his apostles, with his joy. With his joy. And now come I to thee, and these things I speak in the world, that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. And they should have, at this point, had quite a bit of joy, but they would have a whole lot more when they had a whole lot more of the Holy Spirit. Because they had just heard Jesus with his eyes lifted up to heaven. He is not looking at them. They are in the Holy of Holies, and there's a transaction taking place, or communication taking place between Jesus and the Father, and he's looking, and they're hearing these incredible things. We're one, and I want them. Could you ever have a fight with an apostle? After hearing, as we are one, I want them to be one. We shouldn't. They should have been one. And the, the, the most tense moment among the apostles, there's, there's about three, and, and one of them is Galatians chapter 2 over circumcision and the Apostle Paul and what he's preaching Gentiles about the law of Moses. Do you know how it ends? An R word, an H word, and an F word. We do it when we take in a new member. The right hand of fellowship. It, if Elijah could pray that it wouldn't rain, it didn't rain for three and a half years, when Jesus prayed, Father, Holy Father, I want these men to be one like you and I are one. They extended the right hand of fellowship between Peter, James, John, Paul. And they agreed among themselves, we'll take care of the circumcision, brother. You take care of the uncircumcision, and we'll both take care of the poor. It's beautiful in Galatians chapter 2. That they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Jesus had prayed this before, and he'd explained this to his apostles on this same road before his prayer. In John 15 and verse 11, he had said, These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. But now he had told them that, but now he's praying the Father to bless them with that blessing. So when we read words about us, and that if we will believe, the Holy Ghost will fill us and is able to fill us with all joy, peace, and hope, then we pray for it as well. We do our part, then we pray for it. And Jesus told them first that they should have his joy in them. And in chapter 16, and verse 20 through 24, I won't read it, it's five verses long, it's when Jesus explained that when I rise from the dead, you're going to be like a woman that's given birth. You're going to be full of joy, and no man is going to be able to take that joy from you. And now he's praying for his Father to give them that joy and in unity. Let us endeavor to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, because there's joy in that. When a family is happy, and, and all sins and differences and tension is gone from a table. 
and they're eating a meal and they're having fellowship, and there's no, it's just flat out wonderful. You know, and, and, and that's, that's kind of inferior because the only connection at the table is animal DNA. I love all you children and grandchildren. I hope you know the comparison I'm making. But when it's the people of God, what is our connection? God the Father. There's one Lord. There's one faith. There's one baptism. There's one hope. There's one calling. And there's one God and Father of all. And so when, when there is unity, there is joy and there is peace, and it is a wonderful thing, and that is why Psalm 133 is in the Bible, how blessed and how wonderful it is when brethren dwell together in unity. And this is what Jesus wanted for his apostles, and this is what Jesus wants for us. And are you fulfilling your role in these three verses, which are the first lesson? Unity and joy. Are you making this a unified, peaceful place full of joy? Let's go to lesson two, verses 14 through 16. Much more could be said, doesn't need to be said. I need to read the word of God distinctly and give you the sense and help you understand it and see the simple lesson of the prayer request. Jesus hadn't had a prayer request except for himself, and they were in verses 1 through 5. In verses 6 through 10, it was reasoning with his father in prayer about why the father should be moved to take care of these apostles. And in verses 11 through 13, it's his first prayer request. It's unity and joy, but it's not really two different things because it's joy in unity, and it's unity resulting in joy. And I hope you can see that in those three verses. Verses 14 through 16. I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. You say, that's repetition. Isn't that redundant? No, it is not. Jesus is reminding the Father, you have left me down here in the world, which is your arch enemy. Now I'm coming to you, and you're happy about me coming to you, and I'm happy about going to you, but these 11 men are still down here. They're still down here in this mess. And they've got to be here for a while. Will you be with them? I'm not asking you to take them out of the world like you're taking me out of the world. Our Lord's ministry wasn't 35 years. It was only 3.5 years. The apostles' ministries were going to be more like 35 years. And so do you see Jesus' reasoning here? The world's an ugly place. And I've given them thy word. Everywhere they go, they're going to open their mouths with miracles to get an audience. And everything they say is going to be anti-world. Will you be with them? Because they're not of this place, just like I'm not of this place. I'm not of this place. I live on a spiritual plane far different from these other inhabitants of this planet. And they have followed me and they're just like me. And he repeats it twice to get his father's attention. Now, brethren, are you not part of this world? If we'll step away from this world and separate ourselves from this world and hate the things of this world, the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ are praying for us. The Lord Jesus Christ is praying for us to the Father. This is the, this is the second lesson. Jesus prayed second for their safety from the world. Verse 14, I have given them. What goes in those two blanks? Thy word. 
Oh, Holy Father, we have a problem. I'm coming to you. They're staying here. And I have given them some bad stuff. You know how I mean? Bad stuff. I've given them thy word. Do you remember what the ministry of the apostles was supposed to be according to John chapter 16? Verses 9 through 11. They were supposed to, it's in our word, they were supposed to reprove the world. Everywhere they went, they were reproving the world. They were reproving the Jews. They reproved the Gentiles. They reproved the philosophers of Athens. They reproved idolatry. They reproved everything. Because everything in this world is twisted wrong. The only things we have in agreement with this world are animal, basic, instinctive things like eating, drinking, sleeping, working, procreating, dying. Everything else, we have differences. You say to me, well, the world goes to work and we go to work. Yeah, and we go to work in an entirely different way. We go to work to serve the Lord Christ. Lesson number two, I have given them thy word. Number two, the world hated them since they were not of the world. I have given them thy word. Oh, brethren, David greatly loved God's word, so he wrote about it. It's a rare gift to have God's word. Only Israel had God's word of all the nations on earth. And they were the smallest of all nations, according to Deuteronomy 7. And they had God's word. Psalm 147 tells us God hadn't dealt with any other nation like he had dealt with them. That is a a tremendous gift. But that tremendous gift from heaven is hated on earth. They want to get rid of the Bible. They'll allow the Koran in our schools, but they won't allow the Bible. Because the Bible is God's word, and this world hates God of the Bible. And they hate the Bible of that God. They don't mind the make-believe God of of Islam, nor his so-called holy book, nor his great prophet. They don't mind that because that doesn't step on them at every turn like gospel preachers do and anyone that lives and practices the Bible. So that's what verse 14 is about. You can see it's a pretty big transition from verses 11 through 13, unity and joy. Now it's hatred. It's it's the world hating you because you've got my word and Father, they're going to be preaching my word and you know that's going to bring the wrath of the Jews and the Gentiles down on them. I have given them thy word and the world hath hated them because they are not of the world. And if you want to know how much the world hated the apostles, then you need to move ahead to the book of Acts because in the Gospels, you don't see very much of the hatred of the world for the apostles because Jesus Christ was out front. So he was taking the brunt of their greater hatred because their hatred is preeminently toward Jesus Christ. But you can read about it in the book of Acts. They're not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Holy Father, they're just like me. You don't like me being down here. You know I had to humble myself to come into this place. You know how I'm being treated. You know how many angels have asked you if they can take a few dead dogs' heads off? Like David's brothers? You know that I'm down here and I'm leaving and I'm coming to thee, Holy Father, and I'm glad to be coming to thee and my joy is going to be fulfilled with thee and glorify thou me and I'll I'll glorify you and when I get to you, show me a little of that glory. Infuse some divine glory in my human nature 
so that when these men see me again and their followers see me again, they'll see the glory that I have with you. And, you know, that was from last Lord's Day. But I'm, I'm wanting you to, to picture the prayer and where we are at at this moment and what his prayer request is. Verse 15, I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. Holy Father, I'm coming to you. I'm leaving the world. You're taking me out of it. I'm not asking you to take them out of it. I'm asking you to help them bear it. Endure it. Protect them. Keep them. Don't let any evil tempt them. Don't let any evil hurt them until it is your time for them to be with you. Protect them from the evil that is going to assault them. But that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. We look at death in a bad way most of the time, and that's understandable, and so did they in the Bible. However, the Bible does tell us, Paul, the Apostle Paul wrote that it is far better to die and to depart and be with Christ than to remain here. And we ought to learn to have a portion of that attitude. And the Bible teaches us in Isaiah 57 that the righteous die young sometimes. And the reason they die early is for God to deliver them from trouble in this life. The first two verses of Isaiah 57. You look at a righteous man dying and you say, why do the good die young? And they don't generally. The general rule is that the righteous live because there's a reward for obedience. There's a reward for honoring parents, and that's long life. And it's an exception. But when the exception happens and you see a righteous person die, hmm, Isaiah 57, 1 and 2 says, the Lord's taken him to heaven where he can rest. He doesn't have to worry about anything anymore. Josiah was that way. Josiah had that tremendous revival. And when the word of God was read before Josiah, Josiah knew judgment was coming on the nation. And the word came back to him and said, yes, judgment is coming and it's too late. But it's not too late for thee. Because you've humbled yourself, I'm going to take you out in a battle that's coming up. And you'll be with me and you won't see what's coming. But Jesus didn't pray for them to have a Josiah experience. Jesus prayed for them to stay and that he would protect them from the evil. They would face persecution, and it began immediately on the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 3. They would face hardship of all kinds, which Paul listed for us in 2 Corinthians 11. When you go to 2 Corinthians 11 and you read Paul's resume, it has all the negative things that happened to Paul, and it's, it's a large list, but he still loved serving the Lord Jesus Christ on earth. If it would profit the Philippi saints, he didn't want to go to heaven, which was far better. Number three in the second section, Jesus did not ask his father to take them out of the world. He hasn't taken us out of the world. Could, could God have regenerated us and taken us to heaven one minute later? Yes. One second later? Yes. Month? Yes. He could have, but he didn't. He's left us here, and there is the Lord Jesus Christ who's been here and who was abused by men and who had his own siblings turn against him. remember, who is tempted in all points like as we are, and he's praying for us. And he's not praying that we'll be taken out, that we'll, get the, we'll have the big one when we want it, that we're going to stay here, but he's going to protect us from the evil. Amen. And we can be protected from the evil. 
and the martyrs. Did the martyrs look like they were protected from the evil? You women on Wednesday evening, you had a great opportunity to hear again about the martyrs. Did the Lord fill them with joy? You say, well, that's not protecting them from the evil. Really? Everyone that persecuted them goes to hell, and they went to heaven, where the Bible says they began to rest in their beds. Isaiah 57, 1 and 2. And they went cheerfully. Have you read yet about a martyr that went painfully? You see, but they had to have been in pain. Why did they have to be in pain? You don't believe in my God and my Savior, Jesus Christ. They had a blessing of the Holy Spirit that overcame physical pain. Yes, there was some physical pain, but the joy of their hearts, knowing where they were going, why they were doing it, and that they weren't going to compromise the gospel of Jesus Christ was more than enough for them to take that little bit of physical pain. And I am not making a mockery of that. That was not kite weather. Verse 16, they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Why is that repeated there again? Jesus is telling the Father, these men are just like me, and he tells him twice. These men are just like me. I don't like being down here, but to do your work. You don't like me being down here because I'm your only begotten son, and men are picking on me, abusing me, twisting me, calling me. I'm devil-possessed. I'm doing this by the power of Beelzebub. You know what it's like down here. I have to leave. They're going to be here alone. Do you see the personal appeal to God for these 11 fishermen? Did these men sin? Did Jesus know in this prayer that in two hours Peter would deny him three times? What a Savior. I'm a great sinner, but I have a greater Savior. And that is where all my trust is. And it's always been there, and it can't be anywhere else. It's got to be in him. And look at him pray. He's praying that way for me. He has delivered me from so much evil. Number four, Jesus asked God to keep them from the evil. They would face hardships of all kind. Like Paul describes in 2 Corinthians 11, they would face false doctrine and philosophy of deceived pagans and idolaters, but they wouldn't succumb to it. They would face devilish efforts to corrupt Scripture especially by Jewish legalists. The definite article, the, the evil, points to the world's evil, points to Satan's evil, points, points to understood evil. The evil that is down here on this plane, in this world, is going to assault them. And Father, you know there's a lot of it. And it is the evil of this world system. I'm not asking you to get them out of it. Just protect them from it. Remember? This is prayer request number two. It's verses 14 through 16. Jesus prayed for their safety from the world. Verse, I mean, number, not verse. Number five, Jesus repeated, they were not of the world like he was not. And amen. Now we, we should ask ourselves, in prayer request number one, am I doing my part to keep this church one? Am I doing my part to have the joy of Christ fulfilled in me. Prayer request one. Prayer request number two. Do I live by the word of God? Because the world should hate me. I should have family 
that hates me. If I don't have family that hates me, I'm doing something wrong. Jesus said they would hate us. So you've got to ask, am I like these apostles? Jesus said about them in verse 14, I have given them thy word. We have it. We have it. You have it on your smartphones. But are you living it? Do you speak it? Do you live it? Do you think it? So that others despise you for it. Because the world should hate you. You know the verse. All they that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. So if we're going to be like the apostles, let's ask, how am I living out the word of God? I love to write people during the week in and out of our church. I hope today, by the power of God, his spirit, and his word, that you will walk with God, delight in him, and be a living epistle of his son to everyone you meet. The Lord's not taken us out of the world yet. We're still here. Let's not be of it. We can be in it. Let's not be of it. We're in it. Let's not be of it. You say you're repeating yourself. Yes, I learned that in a prayer. We're in it, but let's not be of it. Every day we're tempted to be of it. Because we're in it. And they want to force us to join them. Look at what it says in verse 14. The world hath hated them because they are not of the world. The world hates anyone different when that difference is God related, the God of the Bible and the Bible of that God. They want to conform every single one of us to think like they think, speak like they speak, and live like they live. We reject their thoughts. We reject their speech. We reject their lifestyle. These are the two prayer requests. Jesus is praying for us. These are prayer requests we ought to pray for one another. And let's make sure we fulfill them with our part. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word. Amen.